So I'm excited to be your first Canadian guest, eh? Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 12 of the Lean Whiskey podcast. I'm back after Jamie Flinchbaugh did an epi- the, the last episode uh, with his old friend, Susan Pleasant. Jamie and I are going to do the next episode together, but today I'm joined by an old friend of mine, Ryan McCormick. Ryan, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And it's good that you finally ventured up north with your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not physically ventured up there right here in January. How, how cold is it? up there? Well, first off, tell everyone, it may have, it, I mean, to whatever level of detail you want exactly where you are. And yeah, how's, sure. the, how's the weather? Yeah, no, I'm based out of uh, sunny Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, currently, yeah, this is not a hot tourist spot these days. We're probably around minus 20 degrees Celsius, uh, which actually isn't unusual for this time of year. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if anyone's been following the news too. Our friends out in Newfoundland had, uh, I think, 70 centimeters, which is uh, a little over a yard for for. Uh, the American. <laughs> Thank I, I, went, I already went and Googled that minus 20 Celsius <laughs> is minus four Fahrenheit. You're killing me with the metrics, but go ahead. No, I'm kidding. It's all, it's not a yard anyway. I'm just making it up. But the uh, a meter. No, no, you fooled me. You fooled me. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a typical Canadian uh, winter here in Winnipeg. So uh, that's why lean whiskey is just what the doctor ordered and sort of stay warm up here. Yeah. And um, people who read, uh, we're going to talk about how we got to know each other. And uh, but uh, for you know, people who read Lean Blog might realize that um, I reached out to Ryan maybe a year ago and said, "Hey, you are putting out these really cool emails called the Operational Excellence Mixtape, and do you have these archived online?" And and, and you said, "Well, no, not really, right." No, I don't manage them. Um, it's just, it's something I started doing many years ago when I worked in a, uh, in a hospital here in Winnipeg, just to, well, partly keep my own skills up. Uh, but also people were asking me, what are, what are some articles that are, um, related to lean, especially lean in healthcare. Um, so I, I started compiling this for work every couple of weeks, and then other people started forwarding it to people. And uh, so I just started uh, doing it every two weeks, probably for the last seven or eight years now. Wow. So I think I went back and with, with your permission, um, a year and a half's worth of, of putting those on the blog to have them uh, archived and, and let people find them. And um, so, yeah, so people go to leanblog.org and search scroll down the main page. There's a section dedicated to the mixtapes. And you can, of course, encourage you to subscribe uh, to Ryan's emails. But yeah, there's always a lot of really good things to read and to listen to. And when we talk about our articles from the news, that that's the type of stuff that's in the mixtape. So if we were to talk about every article in your bi-weekly mixtape, it would be like a 10-hour long podcast, I think. Yeah, there's usually a good... Uh, you know, I probably... 
edit down to uh, um, the dozen that I thought would be the most interesting to to anybody out there. So yeah, otherwise it would be a lot. But actually, it's it is interesting to see seven eight years ago there's a lot less material on lean and and lean principles in the news. Uh, but today it's actually not hard to encounter. Yeah. So I encourage everyone to look at that and. Um, thank you, Ryan, for doing those. And, and thank you for uh, letting me share that. I probably, you know, I, I, it earns me like, you know, probably 17 cents a month in Google ad revenue for that contribution. So I, I, I owe you one. That's right. <laughs> but, but no, the, the real reason for doing the blog and sharing this is just to be helpful. And uh, Well, that is American money. So <laughs> that's, that's worth how much Canadian these days? I lost track of Oh, it's worth more usually. So I, that's all I know. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the criteria we're going to talk a little bit about um, how we've met and, you know, as I've talked about in other episodes and Jamie talked about last episode, one of the criteria is basically is that, like, is, is the guest somebody you've literally sat and uh, had a drink with together in person. We're doing this virtually, of course, but you know, you have somebody you, you you've talked shop with and, and shot the breeze and, and had a few laughs. And, and we've all, we've all done, uh, Ryan and I have done that. And, and it was really, it was through the healthcare value network, which was something I was involved in 10 years ago. Um, did we meet Ryan? Like I, I came to the hospital you were working for in Winnipeg at the time. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I think you came at least once uh, to my well, recollection. Yeah. Oh, it was more, it was definitely more than once. Yeah. But yeah, I think the first time I met you in person was there. Um, I think the first time we had much communication, uh, you might remember you, you had a contest for lean memes uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, to, to win some books. And I, uh, for some reason, got super into it. And uh, then, uh, <laughs> of course, I actually won the contest. And, uh, and you sent me some, uh, I think, a copy of Healthcare Kaizen or Lean Hospitals. Uh, and at least you didn't make a meme about getting a crappy prize for <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Those are fantastic books. I still, uh, I still refer to them this day. But yeah, and your your memes are uh, fantastic. So yeah, kind of a little side project. I have leanmemes.com. Uh, you It wasn't just for that contest. You, you've contributed yeah, I, a I, lot of. I got them. a little carried away there for a good year, year and a half. So uh, I got to admit, I I put my meme career on hold for for the last while. But uh, it would be interesting. I haven't gone to that website in some time. It would be a. Uh, it, it would be a, a trip down memory lane to, to visit leanmemes.com and and yeah. and review some of my previous work. But so you've you've uh, exposed yourself because on the website they just say by Ryan. Oh oh yeah, uh, of course. I think you, did, but, you didn't want formal contribu- uh, attribution, but the most recent one is a picture of uh, Marie Kondo, and um, you you put the text on there. Does your boss spark joy with a question mark? And I'm not going to put you on the spot. Um, to answer that, but yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a good meme from about a year ago. Have, yeah, have you watched? Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I uh, I'm you're asking about Marie Kondo. I actually have yeah. not watched the series. I do know it's uh, extremely popular. Yeah, I, I finally got Netflix a couple months ago, um, so I do I do have her in the list of things to watch. But I think I got Netflix. You were you one of the people who recommended the the documentary American Factory? Yeah, and that's why I was actually surprised uh, when I sent it to you. I was like, you got to check this out. And you're like, I don't have Netflix. I was, uh, I was a little, <laughs> little surprised. You don't hear that too often these days. So, I know. What would you think of it? 
Oh, American Factory? Yeah. It was, at, well, so um, for one, like that factory was literally where, you know, in the town I was born in, Dayton, Ohio. So that was an interesting connection. There were times that were funny and then there were certainly cringeworthy moments. And I, and I think, you know, the film set maybe, you know, the, you know, the Chinese owners were going to be the bad guy. And, and there was certainly enough conflict between Chinese business culture and, and what American workers wanted. But the, um, the, uh, the, Ameri- the one American who spoke Chinese, and I'm sure you remember this moment, Ryan, um, he's in China and he's just sitting there complaining about the American workers. I'm like, oh yeah, things would be much better if we could put masking tape or if we put duct tape over their mouths because they talk too much. Yeah, and I gotta admit that was a moment where you kind of go, really? And you do have that, like you said, a cringeworthy moment when he said that. that uh, I remember that very clearly and having that reaction. And, and he knew cameras were rolling, right? I mean, that's- well, Absolutely, I'm sure he thought he was coming off great. <sighs> yeah. Maybe I'll have him on the podcast sometime. I mean, I, I didn't totally Lincoln stalk the guy, but he's out there on LinkedIn. You can find his name. He works for the company still. Oh, interesting. Hey, you know, you come talk about this? Well, I don't know if I want to do that. But so um, leanmemes.com uh, is uh, ask people to go check that out. And then one other, one other thing uh, Ryan and I did, um, you talk about actually physically venturing to Winnipeg. Um, at, at Ryan's invitation, I came up and, and we did a workshop together around uh, the book measures of success. So thank you for, uh, thank you for doing that. It was fun hanging out together up there. That was great. Um, it was an excellent workshop too. That was back in May this year. We had a mix of folks from industry and from healthcare. Uh, it's always great to see the, the red beads always never fails to deliver the message about systemic performance versus individual performance. And uh, yeah. I, I do apply your methodology for process behavior charts fairly regularly now because uh, I was taught using Six Sigma tools many years ago. And, you know, you get bogged down by the, the P charts, the C charts, the U charts, what's the right chart. And the simplicity of the process behavior chart makes it so much easier to take these tools out to managers uh, than trying to explain the, the different control charts and technical nature of those. So I, I really I really like the work. Um, it has already paid off for me in my current role in helping, you know, proliferate these tools in a way that's easy to understand. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, as uh, Canadians and Americans, not just separated by uh, the metric system or not, um, separated by a common language, right? As we say, a process behavior chart versus a process behavior chart. <laughs> I think we, we can still follow each other, right? Yes, I, I always forget that process sounds strange to, uh, <laughs> to most people on the continent. Um, so you mentioned healthcare and we kind of alluded to it. I should have given you a better chance to introduce yourself, um, like a little bit about your career arc and some of the different things you've done for, uh, for the listener's benefit. Uh, sure. So I've been uh, working in the lean and improvement field probably for about 19 years now. Um, I started out in a sort of traditional way. Um, I was working at a, uh, a steel mill here in Manitoba as a when I was finishing up my engineering degree. And then I got a, a job offer at Boeing. Um, not too many people know there's actually a 
a medium-sized manufacturing facility uh, for Boeing here in Winnipeg that makes composite parts for uh, commercial aircraft. And I, I just really got lucky because I got hired on right into their, at the time they had a lean promotion office or a Kaizen promotion office. And, and they were really invested in learning and applying lean principles to improve their manufacturing productions. And we were using a company that's fairly well known now, um, Shingi Jitsu as the mm -hmm. uh, third party consultant. So we, we had these, uh, we had, Japanese senseis teaching us and it was a it was a great opportunity to learn and I love I, I'm in a small world scenario my current manager is my manager from 19 years ago at Boeing mm. reconnected a long time later and uh and then our paths have crossed again uh unfortunately that was in 2001 and then the events uh, around 9 they scaled back production considerably and I was laid off. But after that, I got into um, a organization, a food manufacturing company here in Canada that was uh, promoting and applying Six Sigma in a classic Six Sigma way. So I was a black belt in Six Sigma mm -hmm. working for a major food company. And you know what? Um, even though I... Now, in retrospect, I've come to loathe the expert-led improvement model or belt model. The training and exposure and the coaches I had there were of such tremendous quality that I, I just learned so much from them. Yeah. Um, and uh, while I was there, I was also taking my MBA uh, part-time. And we had one of those sessional instructors come in and talk, and he was from healthcare, and he was talking about IT and healthcare, and, and they were getting ready to do more digital healthcare transformation. And I guess they read our bios, and he was looking for a lean and Six Sigma guy. So uh, he, uh, I talked to him after class, and one thing led to another. I ended up working in healthcare for about, uh, about 10 years, and... Um, but we'll probably talk a bit more. Uh, we'll probably talk almost exclusively about that for the rest of this session. And then yeah. um, I currently work for a large Canadian mutual insurance company uh, based out of Winnipeg. And I'm doing, so you might. I'm uh, oh. still doing, uh, still teaching and applying lean principles to to create value for customers. Yeah. Yeah, and so later you mentioned Shigejitsu. Um, we, we, I think we'll have time. I think there's a funny story, or we'll we'll, we'll be the judge of that, Ryan. <laughs> <A> <laughs> yeah. Funny story. yeah, I don't know. It might uh, funny for lean people, well, maybe. Well, but... that's that's who's listening. Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. you got to know. You got to know your audience, and then I mean, maybe some, maybe some of your family's listening, or they stopped listening. <laughs> I, I doubt that three minutes uh, ago, but yeah. Uh, and then you know, you mentioned um, you know about the 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 Six Sigma belt. Uh, approach and, and and that goes beyond that sounds deeper than a pet peeve but I think later we're each gonna uh, kind of go through a segment on pet peeves but we, we got a couple news stories to get to and um, there, there's a lot of um, stuff to fun uh, to, to talk about um, to, with the fun spirit I, even though I'm bumbling over my words I have not had any of said spirit yet um, so I think we're gonna we're gonna shift into talking about um, what are you drinking but I, you know again I mentioned earlier you know we, we've 
talked, we've alternated within the same conversation over a drink or two or three about like really serious topics. Like we're going to eliminate patient harm in the world. And then we're laughing and having, having a good time. And they, I remember uh, Palm Springs lean healthcare transformation summit. That was, that was kind of a late night became a late yeah, night. That was a, that was a good time. That was a great, I, I really enjoyed any time I had a chance to go to the healthcare lean summit was a, uh, was a fantastic. I, I specifically remember the, uh, the Palm Springs as well, because there was uh, some, I have a long, a, a vague and fading memory of mini golfing that night too. Um, after drinking. Oh, I don't remember that. See, I'm usually, I'm never the, I'm, I'm, I'm never the last one standing. I, I, I don't know. At some point I went to bed. We had, we had, we had a group and we were being louder than we should have been, I think. Cause it was one of these hotels where like the bar was in like the central atrium and I'm sure the sound was carrying more than it should have but yeah we we'd probably lack some discretion for sure <laughs> and, and and here today the theme is like just the right amount of discretion <laughs> but um ryan as our guest and as you said our first canadian guest let you choose the theme of the whiskeys why don't you tell us uh, about the theme and and what you're drinking and tell us a little bit about that Sure. Uh, so tonight I'm drinking Crown Royal, which uh, in you know is fairly ubiquitous brand in in Canada. Uh, Canada, we we don't call it whiskey; we call it rye. Um, I thought I'd go local, partly because Crown Royal is actually manufactured right here in Manitoba in a uh, in a town called Gimli, which is about an hour north of Winnipeg. Uh, it's home to uh, the largest Icelandic population outside of Iceland as well. Um, so I'm, I'm actually drinking a specific blend called Northern Harvest Rye, which in 2015 somehow was named best whiskey in the world by a guy named Jim Murray, who, who procured something called the Whiskey Bible. And when he did that, uh, it kind of came out of left field and everything went a little yeah. nuts. Um, it, uh. It, there were lineups in the in the liquor stores here in Winnipeg to get yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I'm not I'm not going to lie and tell you it's the best rye I've ever had. It's a uh, it's interesting. It's got that classic burn and spiciness that you come to expect from Canadian rye. Um, but but Crown Royal, I, I know Americans are familiar with this drink as well. In Canada, mm -hmm. it, it uh, I think it still comes in the purple drawstring bag. Where I, I recall vividly as a kid. You know, there was always a couple of kids that showed up to school with the crown <laughs> bag as their pencil case, um, not commenting on their parents' situation or, or anything. But uh, you, or you would carry your marbles or your hockey cards if you want to get really yeah. Canadian in in your crown royal purple drawstring bag. <laughs> so it's a it's a big brand here in Canada. It's um, you know it's it, it's eighty proof. It's ninety percent rye whiskey. Still, it's for me. It's a taste of nostalgia to drink. That's uh, um, everywhere, anywhere you go in Canada, you can get Crown Royal. Yeah. So hey, I'm, um, and as I'm talking here, maybe I don't need to pull the end on cord. I was hearing a little bit of an echo, but now I'm not. So we'll just unpull. We'll pull the end on cord again. I think. I think we can continue production here. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I, mean, I was going to say a couple things, you know, so it's funny. Yeah, Jim Murray is considered uh, very much a world expert. It's not just some 
some blogger with a review. Um, I, one, one of the whiskeys that I talked about uh, in, in a previous episode from, from Texas, which, you know, for me, that's, that's drinking local. Uh, Garrison Brothers Balmeray whiskey was not named world's best whiskey, but it was named like small, best small craft producer, which is still um, quite, quite an honor from, from Jim Murray. But yeah, the last thing you want is like your favorite whiskey to get that designation because then, then it becomes really impossible to find, kind of like what you were talking about with the lines, people searching for it. Yeah, I think it was it was unexpected for a rather pedestrian rye like Crown Royal to be named uh, the the best whiskey in the world. But um, well, so I'm I'm drinking the most pedestrian of the pedestrian because I went out and I've got a couple things I'm going to sample here. I've got like little one ounce pours because yeah, everyone knows Crown Royal. Um, I was doing a little research by by that I mean looking at their website and it said. You know, it was uh, not exported until 1964. Uh, it was created in 1939 to celebrate King George VI and Queen Elizabeth visiting Canada. And, and I'll tell you, I, I don't normally drink Canadian whiskey. Like I remember back in the day, like younger days, there's, you know, that one, that one friend who would always bring the purple bag um, of Crown Royal to the party and he would mix a lot of uh, Coca-Cola with it. And so I went out and... Uh, this is not the main one I'm going to be tasting, but I bought basically a little airplane bottle and it comes in its own little mini purple bag. Awesome. So of what I'm trying, I mean, this is the one that's in a plastic bottle with a screw cap uh, <laughs> for being an airplane bottle. Um, so, well, here, cheers. I'll make the sound effect because I have a couple glasses. Cheers. Um, the, the Northern Harvest blend, and there's another one called the Bourbon Mash blend that are a little bit more expensive and, and, and probably a little better. Um, Americans would, I'm surprised there hasn't been legal action about using the word bourbon, even in any indirect way. Yeah, that is label. surprising. Uh, I, I, I'm not familiar with the, uh, with, with that blend. Um, but yeah, bourbon, you know, bourbon is very much an American word. And, and like you said, it's funny, uh, you, you, Canadians call, call it rye, even if it's not, like in the like in the U.S., uh, an American rye whiskey by law has to be fifty-one percent rye. I don't I don't think that's even really I don't think that's really true in that with with Canadian. It's just more of a, a slang alternative word, right? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I but even the most ryes you'll drink in Canada are are uh, are ninety percent or or um, in the case of Alberta, premium usually a hundred percent rye. So there, yeah, with all things, there's um, that variety. And, um, but so uh, it's funny you mentioned Alberta premium distillery. So the, the second one I'm drinking, which is also an airplane bottle, uh, it's actually, it's funny, it's a glass bottle with a little cork stopper, um, is, it, it's called Whistle Pig Straight Rye Whiskey. And it's purported to be from Vermont, but the deal is that that, that this, the whiskey is actually sourced from Alberta Premium. I don't, did you know this? I have never heard of this this uh, rye, but I mean, Alberta Premium's a, a, a major distiller uh, in Canada, but and they're known primarily for being the 100% rye rye. And this one's uh, 100% rye. I mean, I've had different Whistle Pig uh, bottlings before. 
Um, I just, I thought the, the little mini bottle was, um, was kind of key. So yeah, there's a big difference uh, between the crown Royal and the whistle pig. Um, Canadians are known for being polite. So I'm doing my best to be polite. <laughs> I'll give credit the whistle pig. Um, I'll give it credit for being Canadian rye and I do like it better than the crown Royal. But you'll, you'll have to look for that. Does it, 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 I wonder if it then gets re-exported back to Canada. <laughs> Yeah, and we're we're clamoring for some Vermont rye in Canada, <laughs> only to find out it's from Alberta. It would be funny if somebody was like, "Oh, you know, I don't like Canadian rye, but this Whistle Pig, though, that's the good, you know, that that good old Vermont rye." <laughs> no, the, the rye snobs will be clamoring for the the rural Vermont rye and ignorant of its origins here in in Alberta. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's a difference. Like you meant, you used the word manufactured with Crown Royal and, and that's probably the right word to use at such large volumes, <laughs> you know, it's such a scale. Um, you, you know, the Crown Royal had said on their website that they use 12 different column stills. They make 50 different whiskeys that are then blended where lot 40 is made in small batches in a copper pot still, which is a, a totally different scale and style um, of, of production. It's generally a lower volume. The continuous stills can crank out really high volumes without ever shutting them down. Oh, it's a large facility. I've actually been through it before. And, uh, I mean, you can drive right next to it along a Lake Winnipeg and it goes on for, for quite a stretch there. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll come up there and we'll, we'll go do the factory, the distillery tour. That sounds great. At some point. And uh, oh, actually, no, and I, and I got my notes confused. So um, the copper pot still, small batches, this is actually a Canadian whiskey from bottled and aged. And I mean, it's Canadian, nothing to do with Vermont. Uh, it's called Lot 40. Do you know this one? I've never tried that, no. Yeah, so this, the, I bought a full-size bottle of this one because I've, I've heard good things. So I'm going to just kind of alternate and take different sips uh, as we go here. But uh, what, what's your what's your personal thought on the Northern Harvest blend? You would prefer it to regular Crown, or what, what yeah, do I do. Um, I do prefer it to the regular Purple Bag Crown. Um, I'm I, I remain surprised that it was ever nominated uh, whiskey of the of the year. Um, but it's definitely a, a, a serviceable rye. Again, it's got that classic burn and spiciness you want. Um, you know, it has a bit of a rounder edge than the the uh, the purple bag classic. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not bad at all. Not bad at all. We'll, 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 um, they'll, they'll put that endorsement on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Murray, best whiskey in the world. Ryan McCormick, eh, not bad. Not, not bad, bad at all. all. <laughs> not bad at all. So um, anything else you want to say about the whiskeys or we'll, we'll, we'll move back into, uh, we'll, we'll talk about our news stories. Sure. Let's, uh, Let's move onwards. I slowed things down by talking about three different whiskeys, which is not the standard work, but. How dare you? <laughs> it's my podcast. <laughs> Do what I want. No, it's all right. So um, first article, and, and I'll give some context and, and Ryan let you introduce and, and talk more about it. But uh, part of the background here, Ryan sends me very um, consistently about once a month. There's an article. What's the window? What's the Winnipeg newspaper called? 
Uh, well, the one I usually send you is the Winnipeg Sun because that doesn't have a paywall. So it's the free yeah. Winnipeg newspaper. And that's kind of hilarious that the Winnipeg newspaper is called the Sun, right? Well, that is the misnomer, Mark. It is <laughs> indeed cold in Winnipeg, but it is usually sunny. Mm. Okay. We, we learn all kinds of things here in the podcast. Actually, so it's no. still worth making a cheap joke over that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and that's actually how you know it's going to be really cold. If it's uh, if it's clear and sunny, uh, that's uh, that's stay indoors weather. <laughs> so um, anyway, Ryan sends these articles every month, and it's often the same columnist. It's not even like a news story, but someone giving commentary about the health system. And like one month, the headline will literally say something like emergency department wait times are up in the Winnipeg area in the region. And then the article talks about why is it getting worse and blah, blah, blah. And then a month later, there'll be a headline that talks about, you know, reduction in ED waiting times. And it's much more, the spokesperson has much more positive things to say. And the columnist is happy and it doesn't alternate exactly month to month, but there's, there's, there's a funny kind of funny pattern there. And as you mentioned earlier about process behavior charts, there's different ways of looking at this, right? What, 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 why don't you tell, tell us more about kind of your history and your thoughts on, on these news stories and, and this view of the data? Well, I mean, because I'm a big proponent of using tools like process behavior charts to help us understand whether we are improving or not. Uh, I got into the habit of sending these to you as, the, as an expert on this only because it's frustrating to, uh, to see these reports where I I'm I believe that the it's done in good faith. Mm-hmm. However, it it's just lends to confusion to the general public. It really doesn't help ever to establish whether real improvements being made. It's a situation where I think because of the political nature of emergency wait times, uh, especially given the current state here in in Manitoba where they're doing this uh, rather extensive healthcare system transformation, it appears that they're desperately looking for signals uh, when there probably isn't any. Right. They're confusing. They're reacting to noise as if it was signals. Well, they're they're desperate to show that it's improving um, at all costs. We'll torture the data or, well, we don't even have to torture the data, which we'll is react to the, the, the most recent data point. But then you get the confusing things and even the, the region website will show, you know, breaking down by hospitals and overall. And then you get the confusing situation where, well, the wait times are better than last month, but they're worse than the same month a year before. And it's like Schrodinger's cat. It's like it's getting better and it's getting worse. So let's just not look. <laughs> and again, it's so simple yet so elusive. The only real question anyone wants answered is, is it improving? And from everything you've sent me, and, 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 and the articles always talk about goals and it's up, it's down. Um, the one you sent me, and I'll, you know, we'll post this in the show notes, um, you know, talked about ranking the hospitals. And I'm like, well, is the difference between the hospitals even statistically significant? Just putting a list in a rank order, I mean, they could all be, I mean, in a way, they're all part of the same system at a high level. Um, yeah, and the other pattern they get into is they're quick to attribute um, if, if the wait times are higher, uh, they will quickly ex- seek to explain it away. So, you know, it could be flu season or a couple of uh, 
specific incidents that have that have occurred uh even though again there probably wasn't any special cause variation and of course if the number is lower we're quick to attribute it to all the hard work that is being done to transform the system so it's a it's all very confusing and it's it doesn't provide the public um or people on the inside with any degree of confidence that we actually understand whether all this transformation is indeed improving or not. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's examples and, and sometimes when I, I use the Winnipeg example in classes that I do of like looking at the headlines, let's do the two data point comparisons. Well, so it's just the confusion or the bad conclusions. Like well, the, the second article that you shared, you know, talked about how, um, you know, like September 2019's average was down 13% compared to three years ago. You'd say, oh, hooray. But it's also half an hour worse than it was a year ago. But you know, what, what is this even um, signal? So then in class, and, and I'll share these charts, like you know, if, if you even do a run chart, you, know, you can look and say, well, you know, going back to 2014, it looks like the couple, last couple of years are better and, and then there's seasonality that you mentioned. So flu season, sure enough, and you can de-seasonalize the data. And then you look at it and from like April 14th until April 17th, there are literally no signals in the chart. It's fluctuating around an average. And then starting, and this is always fascinating, here's someone describing a chart to you verbally, but that's why you need to look at the chart. But April 17 on, like all of those data points are below the baseline average. So it's not just eight consecutive, it's, it's, it's a couple years worth. And it's now fluctuating around a new average that's a little lower. And, and I think there was some initiative that started in April 2017. So it actually does seem like a reasonable cause and effect. Well, that was when they did the initial change to the emergency system here in Winnipeg. So it does make sense that that is an explainable shift. That's when they started consolidating our emergency departments uh, was right around that time. But then, so it looks like there was kind of the step function improvement and now it's, uh, it's fluctuating. And it, it probably doesn't make for great headlines to say, Healthcare or you know, uh, ED waiting t- times continue to fluctuate predictably. Yes, the that's not that's not driving clicks. It, it, absolutely, um, and the the other narrative that's always built into this, which I find interesting too, is that they always state that the goal is to bring the wait times down to the national average, <laughs> uh, and that makes me think of uh, you know one of my first encounters reading Deming was where he was discussing. Uh, kind of the the silliness around grading students against an average yeah. because of course on average some you know half are above and half are below so if everybody was moving below the average you're just shifting averages and 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 when they're aiming for being at the national average they might have somehow framed this as like an excellence program when mediocrity sorry that might be a better word no, that's uh, absolutely consistent with uh, my lived experience here in the Manitoba Health System is we're satisfied with shooting for mediocrity. Um, I, I had many experiences where it was very outward looking, very much, let's wait and see what 
the folks in Toronto figure out and maybe we can copy that or let's see what the Calgary region's doing. Perhaps we can learn from them. Um, I, I was often frustrated with the, um, with the lack of internal desire to innovate and really seek improvement locally. And that's part of the dangers with these types of benchmarks is you, you end up chasing sometimes arbitrary numbers um, in, in when what we're really trying to do is improve the quality of care for Manitobans. Yeah. And, and I, I would be curious to go and search, um, you know, the, the Dallas Morning News or the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and see if there are ever headlines, yet alone monthly, that talk about emergency room waiting times. And, you know, you've got in our system, you know, it's not a Dallas-Fort Worth Regional Health Authority. It's, it's lots of competing hospitals. And, you know, the emphasis, our headlines are about uh, more about cost for for understandable reasons but waiting times and uh, patient harm and things like that are problems that don't get talked about as much uh, as I think they should be in in the media down here yeah well and and here it's it's the opposite it's it's that the emergency room has been the front door and the face of of the healthcare system for so long that's actually part of the problem is if you're entry point is emergency departments, um, then your entry point is the hospital. So the focus has always been on what's going on in hospitals, but of course, healthcare is a broad spectrum of, of services across a continuum where the hospital just happens to be the most expensive and the most dangerous place to actually administer care. Yeah. And uh, you, know, you look at um, waiting times, like in the US emergency room waiting times, are often driven by people who don't have coverage, insurance coverage. And by law, the emergency departments have to at least treat and stabilize the patient. I mean, you know, the, the patient may end up with a bill. And like you said, it's a very, it's a relatively expensive way to get care. Um, in Canada, where you have universal coverage, what there's, there's different dynamics kind of driving the need to go to the emergency department for things that arguably might not be the most urgent emergencies, right? Well, yes and no. I think that's a, that's a convenient myth, even here in Canada, where we say things like, you know what, if we just didn't have these subacute or, or, or non-urgent patients in our emergencies, we would have no problems. But, um, but healthcare is a complex system. I don't think it's that sure. straightforward. And, and that's bearing out right now because, in fact, that was what the that big shift you see on that chart was was moving uh, convert. What we did here was we converted several emergency departments into urgent care centers mm -hmm. and tried to stream more higher acuity to the remaining emergencies and the lower acuity to the urgent care centers. And that you know apparently that has shifted down the the average wait times in our emergency departments. But it's it's certainly not enough to get us to that national average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are, so I was laughing, I wrote down the phrase you were talking about convenient myths. That, that could have been an alternative name for the podcast if whiskey wasn't involved. That, that, that sounds like a, that's a that's a podcast I would listen to if there was a series called convenient a series called convenient myths. 
I, I, I'd listen to that. But, so, uh, um, is there any thought? So, like when when you shared stuff from the website, and I've I've searched the uh, Winnipeg Regional Health Authority uh, sometimes publishes run charts. Like, do you have? Can I send you a copy of the book to give? Uh, you think we can get them doing process behavior charts? Well, you're making an assumption that they want to apply scientific thinking in this context. But uh, of, of course, I believe that's the problem. Um, that was actually my if I, I, I get I get asked a lot of questions about my time in healthcare from from people in industry. And one of the most surprising things I always tell people is when when I first went into uh, healthcare, I assumed that it would be a place where scientific thinking would be uh, celebrated. Yeah, and, yeah and, I, I, I felt the same way. And and of course, we were both surprised. Probably when we we yeah. found that that's really actually not not the case. And, and in fact, one of the very first things I was asked to do, and I only I only remember this in in, in preparation for our discussion today, I was working for a uh, sort of like a project management office that would be tasked to do analysis of of just different operations and in hopes that we could learn how to improve. And uh, a, a task ended up on my desk and it said, hey, there's a master's student writing their thesis and it was related to access and emergency department. And it said, could you go and pull the data to prove this thesis true? <laughs> no, like I'm, I'm an engineer, like engineering and science are different, but even to me, that doesn't sound like good science. Well, and it's absolutely not good science. Um, <laughs> but of course I was eager to, to please my superiors and i remember so i poured through all this data um and and there was no evidence at all that this particular intervention did reduce uh, wait times so of course i presented that because that's what you do right i said there's not there's no statistical evidence to support this claim and they said could you look at it again uh, and that's that was my very first experience to healthcare, and that that should have given me mm. a sign for what I was to encounter later on. Yeah, but that was a, that's that was a surprise to me. Is uh, this just the general um, not disdain for scientific thinking, but it it's just not as ubiquitous as you would think it would be in a field like healthcare. I mean, I found. There's two sides to the science versus art coin that people sometimes will, when it's to their benefit, kind of point to science and they'll, they'll do things like maybe this is this transitioning into the pet peeve segment. Here we go. Here's a pet peeve of mine. When, when people say things like, well, okay, I want you to pull, I want to see the research that proves that lean is better than the way we manage today. Like, well, I don't know if that's really science. Then back to the, the first point, though, then like sometimes you, you point to science, people will say, well, hey, wait a minute, you got to remember medicine is, is an art um, when, when that's beneficial. But, um, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, people will demand journal article proof that lean is the better approach when there was absolutely no journal article that proves the current system of managing is better than what the different alternatives would be. So that that's my pet peeve. I, I think in a nutshell, it would be um, asking for journal articles to prove something that shouldn't 
that that life experience could prove. Like we could do our own experiment because the other thing is when you show journal evidence and they'll say, yeah, but we're different. So then they'll discard the journal. So. Yeah, that's definitely consistent with my experience working in healthcare. It was a lot of cherry picking data that supports your specific narrative, usually in service to maintaining the status quo. Um, but not not always. Obviously, I'm, I'm paying this to be uh, fairly uh, negative. But it was, it, to your point, it was always expected that, you know, the burden of proof for an improvement would have to be so overwhelming, but we never expected the burden of proof for whatever the current practices were. Um, I like to talk to you about uh, like my favorite example. And this is, this is something that's deeply ingrained, especially with emergency room nurse culture is a, is the full moon effect. I used to see this a lot where there'd be a particularly, uh, intense day in the emergency department, um, perhaps a series of really acute and, and really intense situations. And then undoubtedly I would hear, well, that's full moon out. <laughs> and what was fascinating about that is that, um, they, this is deeply believed, but of course, uh, because I'm um, a scientific thinker and, and pretty geeky, uh, and I had access to emergency room data, I do recall uh, just for fun and with a friend of mine uh, that we pulled the data to look at acuity versus the lunar cycle. Mm -hmm. And of course we found absolutely no correlation <laughs> but it's just another example of the confirmation bias and this cherry picking of data to, to uh, support your narrative. I mean, you can easily imagine being a nurse in an emergency room and in what felt like a particularly bad shift. And as you're walking across the parking lot to your vehicle, you gaze up and you see the full moon and, and then you just make that connection. But nobody's ever walking back to their car after a bad shift and say, you know what? It's a waxing gibbous moon. I just knew it. Um, well, God, so God forbid, God forbid it's a full moon and Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, let's just shut the doors. That's going to be an awful day. But what are your thoughts on, on uh, why, why such a lack of scientific thinking, especially when it comes to the operations of, of healthcare processes? I, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the right guy to answer that, but I mean, I, I think my, one of my surprises coming into healthcare is that I thought things would be run much better than they are as like a baseline starting point. The, the, the amount of chaos and, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I try to be fair. I'm like a lot of people in healthcare are not taught about operations in school. That's kind of left like, well, you'll figure that out in the field and then superstition and bad practice get passed on to the next generation. Um, and then and I think this is, this is more important than a pet peeve, but the pet peeve of somebody, you know, somebody in healthcare, this is not everybody, but some people in healthcare that kind of look down their nose at manufacturing and like, well, we, what we do in healthcare is so important. It's a matter of life or death. And then like the evidence of how things actually work and how things are managed don't seem to jive with what we do is so important. It's a matter of life and death, like in terms of, a lack of error proofing, systematic overburden of, of employees and things that don't necessarily seem to be evidence that patient safety is always the top priority, which is 
this is taking a dark turn, but I mean, that's an easy thing for a hospital spokesperson to say after there's some embarrassing incident in the news. Oh, well, it's always our top priority. Well, yeah, I think you're, you've nailed it there. Uh, I, I give, I've given this a lot of thought, especially since I've stepped away from healthcare. And there's so many good and dedicated people out there working in really difficult conditions to provide the best care they can. And and they wrap their themselves in this identity around providing care. And, and I'm grateful for it because without that and without that strong sense of purpose and mission, we can only imagine what the, the quality of care would be. However, to your point, it's when presented with it, any of this is rejected by the culture. So like, I actually recall very clearly in 2008, at St. Boniface here, I'll, I'll mention I was at St. Boniface Hospital. Um, we had a, a CEO who was very dedicated to improving the quality of patient care like, and using principles or like lean and, and others to reduce harm. Right. And so his first, one of his first steps was to draw in all the clinical leaders and operational leaders in a room and, and kind of give like, let's rally around this, this rather compelling and, and should, you know, should have been an aligned reason for action, which was, you know, we need to reduce harm. Yeah. And the reaction in the room was we can't actually say we, we cause harm in the hospital. Yeah. There, there was this yeah. huge reaction saying there's no way we're going to support even writing those words down on a flip chart. Um, so, and yet it's, of course, objectively, it's, it's a fact that harm is caused in a hospital care setting, yeah. but it's, it's so counter to their identity around, um, around what they believe and, and who they are and their mission in healthcare that it just creates this, this dissonance that makes it really hard to navigate. Yeah. So um, maybe there's a, a transition here to our second news story. When you talk about, you know, not being able to say, um, <laughs> talking about the real reality and um, the context uh, with, within the second article is really interesting. If, if you want to introduce uh, this article, you, you had first sent it to me, um, back over, back over the holidays, and I've reread it a couple of times now. And boy, we could talk about this story for for an hour alone. This is where like that late night uh, lean healthcare transformation summit discussion, you know, go, go, goes on uh, for hours because there's so much to talk about. So we'll, we'll 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 my my babbling here is eating into the time that I was trying to uh, be mindful of. But let's talk about this article a little bit, and we'll post a link to the news story and the blog post in, in question. Can you introduce some of this? Sure. Uh, I can't remember how I came across it. Maybe I was on my Twitter feed, uh, but I did see uh, a Toronto Star article. It said uh, CEO being accused of throwing uh, their nurses under the bus after a working an overnight shift. Um, so, of course, I read that, and then it refers specifically to this particular CEO of a hospital system in uh, Newmarket, Ontario, that decided to work uh, an overnight shift in, a, in an acute care hospital, uh, and, and then she blogs about it on her, I guess it's a personal blog, or it's related to the role. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 
And, and, and by work, it was really more that she shadowed people. Like she was present for a shift. It's different than like if she was actually working clinically for a yes, shift. Yes, yeah, that's, that's an important distinction. She's the CEO. She's not actually going to be providing hands-on patient care. Um, and, but, but the, but, the uh, yeah, this is, I think this is a pretty official blog cause it has, um, the South Lake regional health center logo here. And, and here's her picture, the real deal. Yeah. The, the real, Arnold. yeah, it's the title itself is, uh, is telling as well, but the, so I actually, I, I read the article first and I was like, okay, well, how bad could the blog post be, uh, really? <laughs> uh, so I decided to read it and it's, it's not that it's bad, but there's some very interesting things in here. And it was, a, you know, as a lean guy reading this, I was like, this is a master class on how not to do Gamba. <laughs> um, but yeah. let's, let's, um, I thought I'd start with, with my positive support for, for this activity. I mean, you know, she, she did go to Gamba in order to seek understanding and, and wrap her head around the, the conditions that her staff were in and that her patients um, experienced. But, and she, you know what, to her credit, she didn't do one of these undercover boss things. That's one of my, my pet peeves. Is, I, I, uh, I, I, I read about a Windsor hospital CEO who did the undercover thing. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I know no. some people are, but uh, to me, that just seems to defeat the purpose and be disingenuous. And, yeah. but you know, the, the blog starts off good. She talks about her, her intention and, and the context around the shift. She even goes and specifically recognizes some some of her great staff for really specific behaviors that she thought was good, which I thought was that that's very good form when you go to Gemba. If you recognize the behaviors uh, you want to see, then um, that's that's usually good form. But uh, then it started to take an interesting turn. So she talks about the positive things, and then she said, "Well, here's some of the less positive things that I saw, and here's so she does offer up." observations and then what she thinks but um i was i'm a fan of if you're going to gamba you want to offer up observations uh with limited judgment mm -hmm. and this is where i think um it, it goes a little off the rails but uh i mean what were your thoughts well i think the headline from the news story is accurate i did read it as her throwing staff under the bus um, you know, it's funny, you know, you talk about starting even your comments, you show with the positive, like her blog post was the classic feedback sandwich. Of, well, I'm going to say something positive and I'm going to give you some negative and then I'm going to finish with something positive. But like her feedback sandwich is like one of these giant overstuffed pastrami sandwiches. Absolutely. Um, and the thing, like I'm, I'm all for transparency when it comes to data and you've got to share data, if you can't admit that patients are harmed and, and, and you can't share that data so patients might make better choices, you're, you're just getting in the way of improvement. But I saw through the article, like she continually wrote of these different systemic problems, that the, the hallways were cold and drafty. And shame on you staff for using blankets to help keep, or, you know, flannel to help keep yourself warm. And, you know, well, but then again, what, you know, the patient, the hallways are full of patients who are cold because it's drafty. So why is it drafty? There, were, there was really no five, anywhere close to five wise analysis. Why are the hallways full of patients? She played a bit of a blame game around staff or taking, this might be factually correct, but, you know, she said staff are taking 
breaks that are longer than they should be. And, but I, I was just, and, and, and she was airing all this dirty laundry and there was nothing in the story as she wrote it where she did anything as a leader. Like she, well, you know, she said there was a nurse talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But like in the moment, you know, she wrote, um, you know, they, were, they they went, they popped into a unit for 30 seconds and nobody acknowledged us. And then it seems like she got frustrated and kind of huffed out of the room. Um, like, why not stop and say something and, and provide some coaching? Or, you know, she said there was a nurse who was throwing around a lot of F-bombs. And like, it's not that difficult to say, hey, wait a minute. Um, hi, you know, I'm sure you're really frustrated, but, you know, at least try to do something to calm the situation down. And, and so and the, the one time she took action, like she said, there was a big mess and she was like, well, it only took 30 seconds and I cleaned it up. So like she, she committed like this workaround. And it was just really unclear. I, 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 I think there's a time like you need to you need to manage these things internally. And like when you read the comments in the blog post, a lot of people said like, well, you're, you're complaining about all this stuff, but everything you saw is a reflection on your leadership. I'm like, ow. But yeah, I was uh, you know, I was surprised at the lack of, of ownership in, in the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, like and I told you uh, in, in an email, like I'm actually surprised that this blog post is still up there uh, so yeah. i'm assuming she's standing by these comments um or who knows but i mean some specific things that are worth talking about is like you you described the situation where she she goes up to the unit with the patient and is not acknowledged they said the nurse is is busy on the phone um and and it was a judge statement where we have no idea what this nurse was doing on the phone um and that, that's the challenge with this stuff is it's so easy to climb that ladder of inference when you're when you're doing observations like this. But it's it's a leader's job to make sure, you know, you check some of those assumptions before we we make these kind of yeah. judgments. Well, I, and to answer, I mean, I think to answer your question, she was standing by the blog post because she posted a long comment where she said something like, well, I was hoping to stimulate discussion. Well, <laughs> well, mission accomplished there. Yeah. And, you know, and she said, I was surprised by the level of defensiveness. I'm like, well, she did really blame individuals for what are arguably systemic problems. And it's human nature to get defensive. She was in her, she in, 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 in and of herself is being defensive. So how could she be kind of in a veiled way um, criticize the natural defensiveness of others? I just, you know, she, I, I, it's, it's hard to understand. I'm, I'm, well, I'm disappointed in her as a leader, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, and, and there's other very interesting things. And there the um, she further goes on to suggest that the collective agreement is to blame uh, for the behavior she saw as well. Um, even at one point saying she's not suggesting a scenario of martial law. Um, <laughs> That's very, a weird thing to propose. <laughs> but it was a very much a classic you know, we depend on your best efforts. And I know, I know that the hospital's old and I know that the hospital's cluttered and I know that the emergency room's full and I know that you're cold and you're wearing these flannels. And I know that you don't have a break room where you can take a nap, but that doesn't stop you from coming in with a positive attitude and working really, <laughs> really hard. And I was like, well, I think you, you nailed it on the head there. Uh, what, are we, what are you doing? And what are your leaders doing to create the conditions necessary 
to provide the best care possible yeah, rather yeah. than just rely on yeah. people to, to work around those problems. And, um, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's just, there's, it's, it's frustrating that, uh, I, again, like, I think she should have brought these issues up. There were some things she could have done something with in the moment. The rest of it should have been brought up internally within the leadership chain. And, and she asked in her comment, should a CEO keep the negative aspects secret and only talk about what's good? Like, well, no, well, absolutely. No. That's, she's missing but, the but point there. I think she's missing the point. I, I agree. And, you know, she complained about, well, I'm getting all of these anonymous attacks and I think, you know, for one, like the, the comments I read were all about the what about what she did and what she didn't do. I didn't see a lot of just, you know, name calling or I mean that, you know, the Internet breeds that sort of behavior. And I thought I thought the responses were actually they were critical, but I thought they were really thoughtful. And I tended to agree with the criticism. And then she went and, you know, she she called these attacks. I'm like, oh, God. Well, and one of my favorite lines in the blog, and it's kind of like a throwaway line buried in the middle somewhere where she said uh, she was being critical of a, a behavior she witnessed. And she said uh, something to the effect of that's not how we do it here at South Lake. And, and I'm like, well, it, it absolutely is. Uh, you you witnessed it and it is how you do it. So that's one of those. Uh, it's easy to do, too, where sometimes when you're removed from the work, as many CEOs are, Mm -hmm. um, you build up a narrative or a picture of yeah. how you think the culture actually is. And, and then when you actually see it again, you, you run into this inconvenient truth. Uh, mm -hmm. this is how you do things at South Lake. And, and now it's time to yeah. attend to that. Yeah. That that's the definition of culture of uh, how we do things, what happens, the, the, the mental models and, 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 and it, you can't just excuse that and say, well, look at, these are our stated values and we hang signs everywhere and it's on the website saying what our values are. Well, that might be an aspiration, but that doesn't mean that's the reality of the culture. I yeah. On, on, and I will, <laughs> I, I will say, I, I understand some of what she saw and some of her reaction. That doesn't excuse it, but I, I used to catch myself climbing that ladder of inference, uh, walking around the hospital, and you, you see whatever, like she saw, a mess on the floor or someone not acknowledging. And it's very easy to start making assumptions that, oh, well, that person obviously doesn't care. Maybe they don't want to be here. That's not the way we do things. Um, but the reality is a lot more complicated than that. And, and you don't really know um, what it's like to walk in people's shoes, even just by doing shadowing on a visit. Yeah. So uh, we will link in the show notes to those, uh, to the article, to the blog post. It now, and I scroll down and it says, comments are closed. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, well, that's probably a smart move. But 72 uh, comments later, but you know, she, I mean, she was complaining about anonymous attacks and I'm like, well, I, it might be an environment where people are certainly afraid to try to speak truth to power. And when you have a blog, unless you don't allow comments, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why people would post anonymous feedback. There, there's something else I'm going to blog about it. Um, there was a, a hospital in England where the, the headline was about how I think the gist of the story is that there was a patient who died because of um, what's arguably preventable medical error. And uh, somebody wrote 
an anonymous letter to the family, kind of being like a whistleblower, outlining here are all the things that went wrong. And then the hospital's response is to hire handwriting analysis experts oh my goodness. And, and trying to figure out who the whistleblower is. And, and I think, well, talk about not getting to the root cause. Like, I'm sure that person only took the step to, to, to reach out to the family because any attempt to do something constructive internally was, was, was uh, not leading anywhere. Well, on, on the positive side, too, we are seeing a lot more interest in healthcare organizations and others in, in creating cultures of psychological safety for this mm-hmm. reason. So yeah. um, I'm hoping to see the impact of that over time. But I mean, that's the risk when people start getting into lean too. They say things like, you know, lean guys like you and I will say, you know what, you're as the CEO, you should spend more time in the work and go to see. But uh, what you and I also know and, and, and others do over time is it's not just about going to see. Um, it's about being care, you know, observing. It's about mm-hmm. showing respect. It's about doing it in service to improvement uh, and creating understanding. Versus this person went to see, thought they experienced, you know, the same thing that the staff mm-hmm. did. Passed some significant judgment on with, without all the facts, and and is surprised when when she gets yeah. some yeah. some blowback. Well, thank you for sharing that article. It was certainly a lot to uh, to chew on and, and to think about. So in terms of the podcast sandwich, we we had some laughs. We dove into some serious, meaty subjects. And, and now maybe can, can you help us end with uh, with a bit of a laugh? So when, when my friend Crystal Totterman was on the podcast, we each shared a story about the, the funniest thing that's happened to you in process improvement. It doesn't mean it's hilarious, but I guess, you know, something's got to be the funniest moment. <laughs> Is it, can you tell the Shigejitsu story that, that you uh, kind of alluded to earlier? Yeah, I can tell that. And, and maybe uh, I'll allude to that Maple Leaf story I, I was telling you about too. But yeah. I, I mean, it's only because uh, lately I've been, I've been seeing a lot of comments and posts on LinkedIn about uh, wistful uh, recollections of the Shingi Jitsi senseis of the past. And that my actual very first foray into lean was with, with Shingi Jitsu at Boeing. Uh, but I've, I've never, I've never been really exposed to their culture or, or how they think. And, and I believe it might've even been like my second week on the job. I was thrown in as a team member on a Kaizen event. <laughs> and part of that involves, uh, the the sensei coming out and uh doing some observations asking you questions doing sensei things but i was fairly naive um to to how that works so uh they don't they they didn't speak english too so they had an interpreter and i remember i was was by a like a materials rack of some kind um i think it was for for actually storing um like defects or non-conforming parts that you'd have to walk back and forth to. And I was standing by there and I was explaining to uh, the sensei about we were making some improvements to, to, you know, reduce cycle time and, and improve the flow through the area. So the, 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 the interpreter says to me, well, the sensei, uh, the sensei is recommending that the rack be moved closer to the work. And I was like, oh, that's great. Um, but what I what I didn't realize is when they suggest things, it's it's an order. 
<laughs> so, so I started walking away, and and the interpreter is is, is still talking. She goes, um, "Excuse me, uh, the sensei says he recommends <laughs> that it would be better if you move back closer to the work." And I was like, "Yeah, can you tell sensei I heard him the first time?" <laughs> uh, and this this did not play well. And and coming up and more meeting my eye line and the interpreter of course is is trying to mirror his emotion and speaking loudly. Yeah. Like the sensei is recommending you move this rack. I was like, I so finally somebody comes up and says, just buddy, just move the rack. So it was my introduction to the semi-Socratic method of Shingijitsu <laughs> senseis uh, to a completely naive young engineer, newly minted engineer from school. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, wow. is that, yeah. It, it is an interesting I, style and method that, uh, that, that I learned quickly the hard way. Yeah. Well, th this, this is a secondhand story from my wife, but she was on the periphery of, I think she was going to the daily report outs on a Shingijitsu led Kaizen event. And her recollection was, yes, of course, it was the older Japanese male consultant and, and the, 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 the really young Japanese woman as uh, the translator. And you talk about mirroring the emotion. My wife, what she saw was very different. Like the sensei would be almost kind of like hopping up and down angry and yelling about something. And then the translator would say something like with a smile, Sensei thinks that could be a little bit better. And it sounded really <laughs> toned down. Yeah, it's the uh, I, other, there are other things uh, I, I was just didn't understand about the culture too. I remember actually sitting with uh, one of the senseis in the lunchroom once. And uh, this was back when you could still, there was like a smoking area outside <laughs> the cafeteria. Um, so he's, uh, the interpreter said, hey, the sensei is interested if you want to have lunch with him. I was like, sure. He said, oh, well, he wants to go out on the patio. I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm not kidding. This guy's lunch was like he stacked up three donuts on a plate and ate them with a knife and a fork and then proceeded to smoke at least half a pack of cigarettes. And, and then he was at, he offered me a cigarette. Too, and I said, well, I, you know, not really. I'm trying to cut back. And he said, why? You're so young. And uh, which was confusing. <laughs> and and for all of you listening on on the podcast right now, I do sound like this all the time. And uh, so he also suggested um, through the interpreter, the sensei says, the sensei thinks you would make a wonderful singer. <laughs> I was like, you wow. Do, you do a, have a deep voice there, but it's not it's not it's not because of smoking. Well, and yeah, and I'm definitely tone deaf and have no talent in the musical <laughs> arena whatsoever. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, while this is, you know, we're, we're making light of these, these situations, I did learn a lot in my brief time there from them and it kind of got sure. me interested in this as a career. But uh, yeah, it was a real, uh, it's a real culture shock. And you can see why people do sometimes resist the idea of, well, that's Japanese philosophy and it doesn't yeah. play out mm -hmm. here. There, there are sometimes legitimate cultural differences that get in the way yeah yeah so then what what's the second story maple leaf this is from uh, this is not a hockey story this is from uh, the food business yeah it's from a, a, a food company i worked at and again the only reason i bring this up is uh, i was just trying to think of funny things that happen i can think of uh, uh a many but uh, we we were we were really into six sigma I, I do believe the company still is and uh it was quite a rigorous implementation of the program 
And so when when you completed a project, you were required to you know validate the return on investment. And uh, once in a while, they would send an auditor out to the plant to make sure you weren't lying, essentially, and and you could actually prove that your your projects were delivering. And uh, we were, you know, like any time an auditor visits, you're you're always nervous. And uh, so this auditor came in from from headquarters in in Toronto, came to visit our plant here in Winnipeg. And I was touring him around. I was explaining him some of the technical aspects of the the operation that we were improving. And he was completely disinterested in in all of this conversation. Um, and I, I found that surprising. So I'm trying to walk him through all the technical aspects. And he's walking around. He's looking around. He's like, does anything interesting ever happen around here? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And, uh, and uh, I mentioned to him, I go, well, uh, you know, I, I heard about a year ago that uh, some people were caught, like, having sex in this area of the plant. And uh, from then on, he became very interested in in the rest of the tour, and and we got along famously from that. I so all I had to do was explain all the sordid details of anything that was happening. Well, you know whether you know I have no these were all rumors and nothing untoward I'd ever witnessed happening there. But um, I just thought it was interesting that the auditor was uh, was was much more interested in any salacious details I could uh, you know, invent or. Or, or secondhand pass on to him, but rather than the actual metrics. What about you? What are, uh... Well, I, I don't have any funny auditor stories, but there, there's a secondhand story. The, you know, and I've shared this on the blog and it's on YouTube. There was the, the 1980 NBC documentary um, called If Japan Can, Why Can't We? And that's a document that really introduced Dr. Deming. To, to to an American audience. Yeah, I've seen that, yes. Yeah. So the, in, in that documentary, and the documentary kind of veered around in some different directions, but there was there was some guy at a factory who complained about, I think it was somebody from OSHA. It might have been the EPA, but either way, there was someone from the government that was coming and there to do like this official audit. And the guy, and this is, again, this is an NBC News documentary. So who knows if they found a second source. <laughs> I mean, the guy was willing to tell the story on national TV that uh, he's like, oh, the auditor wanted to just sit and he wanted to talk about baseball for hours. And he said, well, I didn't want to do that. And so I said, hey, you know, like I have work to do. And, you know, the guy basically said like, hey, you know, there's, there's two choices here. We can sit and talk about baseball all day or I could go out and do an audit and I'm going to find a lot of problems. Well, I think the choice is clear. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 let's, let's debate uh, whether Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame or not. Let's talk about that for an hour and go. That'd be a good um, audit. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's, uh, I, I don't have any particular funny story off the top of my head. As soon as we stop the podcast, I'll think of something. Absolutely. Well, you got to keep some material for for future episodes too. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, let, let, maybe we'll, we'll do one again down the road because there's. Uh, I mean, there's, like I said, but uh, I'm going to plug the uh, operational excellence mixtape again. Um, there's so much good content there that people can have their own discussions about over coffee or whiskey or whatever's appropriate for the time of day. 
Um, calling it a mixtape, maybe final question, that, that kind of shows our age a little bit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm firmly in the Gen X camp, and that's becoming more and more evident as days pass. Because <laughs> nowadays it would be like the Operational Excellence Playlist? Yeah, that would, that would, that's actually a pretty good name. But I like, I mean, it's easier to come up with pictures of cassette tapes to go along with the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the email and the blog posts there. That's, that, that's fine. So yeah, our, our Gen X malaise and we don't really care about anything. Uh, that's the stereotype of, of our generation, right? Did I lose you? Nope. Oh, okay. I'm like, wow, you are, you're so Gen X. You don't even care about responding to. Oh, I, I, sorry. I was having a sip there. <laughs> okay. My internet here is shaky. So I, I uh, jumped to a conclusion that I had lost you, but um, Ryan, Hey, this has been a lot of fun. We're not, I won't be able to continue this until one or two in the morning or whenever the heck that was at the, uh, at the summit, but I'll tell you, uh, kind of closing the loop on whiskey. Um, I, I really enjoyed the whistle pig. I finished the little airplane bottle of that. And, uh, I did have a little sip more of, uh, the lot 40. They win, uh, the gold and the silver. And I, I guess crown Royal wins the bronze. So we'll, we'll play. Oh, Canada, which I know the word don't make me sing either, but I know the words because I've gone to a lot of NHL games and, and, and growing up around Detroit, we get exposed a lot to that. So, um, I, I, Oh, sorry to hear if you're a Red Wings fan. Hey, we had a good run. That's right. It's rebuilding time. Yes. They're, they're aiming to be maybe a 50th percentile of the league. That would be progress. How are, how are you, how are your Winnipeg jets doing now that you got a team back? Uh, yeah, I'd say we're, um, we're having a better year than people anticipated. We might squeak into the playoffs this year, but uh, they're they're a plucky team that's uh, had some some major turnover. They're they're doing they're doing better, and you never know they could surprise. Well, I hope so. I, I, the Red Wings are clearly not going to make the playoffs. So, yeah, no, I think Dallas Stars and maybe second. The the Winnipeg Jets are my second favorite team. I did get to go to a game in Winnipeg a couple years ago with a mutual friend that you used to work with. I am fairly confident you and I went to a game once here too. Did he give the two of us the tickets? Is that what happened? Yeah, I think that I think it might have even been the Red Wings. I can't I can't quite recall. I'm fairly sure I, no. I went to a game with you here in Winnipeg. I could be wrong. But. It wasn't the Red Wings. I, I saw the Red Wings play in Edmonton. I remember that vividly. Um, no, I'm pretty sure I, I, I'm pretty sure I went with our pal. It's possible. Yeah. So we're you, you, you did good until you had your first whiskey, and you mentioned <laughs> if you were avoiding mentioning St. Boniface, you, you held out for a while. But um, and, and and maybe just to to raise a glass to you, you did mention um, without mentioning by name. Um, Michelle Tetro, um, who unfortunately passed away, and I, and I know we, we both liked and respected him a lot. So, absolutely. Here's to you, Dr. Tetro. Yes. All right. So that ended up well, but all right. That's the whiskey talking, but no. Um, 
that's not a sad note. We're just trying to honor uh, a friend here uh, in, in the podcast. So, uh, hey, Ryan, let, let's do this again. Um, but it's always fun, always fun chatting with you. And I'll look forward to um, more of the, the mixtapes. But I would encourage people, if this is the first episode you've heard, you can go back and hear other episodes. You can find us at leanwhiskey.com. You can also go to leanblog.org slash Lean Whiskey, or if you like our pal Jamie Flinchbaugh better, you can go to jflinch.com slash Lean Whiskey. Um, you, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and other places. So um, if you take a second, um, rate and review the podcast, uh, subscribe um, if you haven't already. And um, we're going to try to bring you, as, as we say, the, the, the tagline for the podcast lean talk with a fun spirit. Ryan, I, I hope you feel like we accomplished that tonight. Absolutely. It was a great time. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for your contribution and in, uh, in both dimensions. So thanks again. All right. Bye now. I'm, I'm going to clink the glasses signifying us uh, toasting. Cheers to you. Take care. Cheers. Good night. Good night.